Friday. We'll let you in on the little game that producer Jay and I play. Happy almost Friday. You do not understand. Maybe you do. Okay, if you work these hours or if you work in sports or if you work at another job where it feels like it's nonstop between the lines, happy almost Friday have become our three most cherished words of the English language. It's better than actual Friday. (laughs) Happy almost Friday means we are so close and it gives us the energy to get through this last night. And then it's Thursday, which means there are unbelievable moments and milestones and events and games and outcomes and storylines and on and on and on in sports. Thursday is always a critical night in sports. So it's Thursdays and it's Sundays that are generally the biggest nights in sports. And that is right in our wheelhouse, peeps. So happy almost Friday to you. We are going to usher in the weekend early, as always. That's the trade-off. We get the early jump on the weekend. And then we get to work on Sundays, which are, as I say, juicy in the world of sports. So find me on Twitter, A-Law Radio. If you, too, would like to chime in on Happy Almost Friday and our cherished tradition that goes back now about a year. (laughs) Once we discovered it, it uh, made us really happy. It gave us something to look forward to. And I think Jay and I literally have a race to see who's going to say it first. (laughs) It's coming to that, yeah. Wasn't it, what, two weeks ago that I got the jump on it and I said it Wednesday night? Well, yeah. And I faked you out? Two or three weeks ago, yeah. It was just a Wednesday wrong. night. It's just I wrong. was in a deep sleep and woken up and saw that text and was, no, wait, yeah, let's, oh, wait, no, it's not. And, yeah, but we moved past that and we made it to the real one. Jay nearly broke up with me. That was it. He nearly was like, I'm out. I'm not working with you anymore. You can't just re- you just ruined my night. Can't recover from that. <laughs> It's a deal breaker. There's no coming back from cheating on Happy Almost Friday. (laughs) It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. We're live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. Do you need to know what it takes for a home to fit your budget and your family? Rocket can. Man, what a difference 48 hours makes. Think about where we were on Tuesday night in the World Series versus where we are now. Think about what I said to you. If you were listening, but even if you weren't, I was thinking about the possibility that Justin Verlander, who for some reason carries this bloated ERA in the World Series, his starts in the World Series resemble nothing like what we've seen from him over the majority of his Hall of Fame career. He potentially was going to be on the mound In a game that could have determined if the series were over or if it were extended. A potential elimination game with Verlander on the mound. And typically you would say, hell yeah, it's Justin Verlander. Except that in the World Series, it's not only been a challenge for him physically and a challenge for him in the battles with opposing hitters, but it's become a challenge for him mentally. I truly believe that. He's still a human being. Regardless of how unbelievable he's been over the course of a 20-year career. And so when we talked about that on Tuesday night, it was right after the Phillies had won their game with five home runs off Lance McCullers, had blasted 
the noise into the outer stratosphere from Citizens Bank Park. It was loud. It was electric. It was obnoxious in a good way. It was everything you want in a home field advantage, thus spawning our discussion of best home field advantages in sports. But then the Astros answered and silenced that crowd on Wednesday night in game number four. They were able to get the edge and they were able to have the one-sided win. And now that brings us to Thursday. Game five of the World Series. The majority of the time, the vast majority of the time, we're talking roughly 80% of the time across the board in pretty much all sports. In a tie series, the winner of game five goes on to either grab the championship or advance, win the series. The vast majority of the time, the victor in game five, because the upper hand is so enormous, it's so powerful, it's so advantageous. I could go on and on. You know me. I like to show off my big vocabulary. (laughs) But then sometimes I get words wrong, and you all are perfectly entitled to laugh at me. So it didn't turn out to be an elimination game for the Astros. But it's still a major hurdle for Justin Verlander. And it's still a game in Philadelphia where we know the Phillies have gotten comfortable. They found the sweet spot. And initially, even after we saw the home run by Jeremy Pena, I'm sorry, not the home run, the single by Jeremy Pena, that was how the Astros scored their first run, was the RBI single. Altuve getting on base again is a huge deal. So the last couple games, he's been out there on base. He's contributing. He struggled for a good portion of this postseason. But he gets on base. He actually stretches a double into a triple so that when Jeremy Pena knocks his single, Altuve scores. So that gave the Astros the 1-0 lead. But then Verlander's on the mound in the bottom of that inning, and man, it seemed like the demons were crowding him. And here's the pitch. Swung on, line deep to right. This one's got a chance. Get up. It is gone. Game tied on a leadoff home run by Kyle Schwarber. Time for the Schwarber. <laughs> that was such a massive monster blast by Kyle Schwarber. It was one of those no-doubters. Everybody in the ballpark knew it. The second it left his bat, he smashed that thing. And right like that, we're tied. And those first couple innings for Justin Verlander were not easy. It wasn't until he gets to the fifth, uh, the fourth and the fifth innings that he actually found a groove. But he battled. And sometimes... Part of being an incredible pitcher, one of the best of your generation, a future Hall of Famer, is not you blow through everybody. I mean, there are stretches where he's done that. There are stretches where the best pitchers in the game do, and you can't touch them. But sometimes, especially for older pitchers, and we hear so many of them talk about this after the fact, sometimes you just have to go out there and you got to battle. And sometimes it's a battle of wills, And no doubt in the case of Justin Verlander, especially as he's got the bases loaded 
and those demons are bearing down. To know that he could win these battles still, even if it wasn't necessarily a seven-inning performance, it wasn't perfect. There were a lot of runners on base. But I love what I saw from him because ultimately it was Verlander winning the battles, both mentally and physically, settling in, doing his job, and not feeling like he let his team down, which, of course, they wouldn't be here without him. But that's how these athletes think. In fact, that's how a lot of humans think. And so I love this. I love the give and take. I love the back and forth. I love that it wasn't easy for Justin Verlander. But ultimately, we did get to see vintage Verlander. Here it comes. Swing and a miss. Got him on the slider and the inning is over. Phillies load the bases with two outs, but they come up empty as Verlander gets his first strikeout in a big spot. 3-2. Cassianos hits it high in the air to left center. Playable for Alvarez, waiting for it to come down after moving to his left, makes the catch, and Justin Verlander wins the 10th pitch battle with Castellanos, strands Harper at second base. He was done after five innings. He allowed a run on four hits and four walks, but he did come back to strike out six Phillies. So yeah, not a Justin Verlander performance that if you take the numbers out of the setting, and you remove them from the World Series, and you show someone this box score, they're not going to think it was Verlander's best work. But after giving up the Kyle Schwarber leadoff, after coming back with the strikeout, with the bases loaded, being able to go out there knowing that initially he didn't have his best stuff, that he was a little off, And there was conversation, of course, on the broadcast about his fastball and what was going on with his fastball. But I actually think these types of wins mean more because they're not just about throwing 99. They're not just about fooling hitters. No, they're about heart and soul and blood and sweat and tears and everything you got to survive. And that's exactly what the Astros needed but certainly there were some mental conversations, right? Some some mental jostling after he gave up that Schwarber home run. I mean, initially you're like, you know, that sucks. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, as a starting pitcher, been there, done that. You, I mean, it, it just is, it just sucks because of the moment and obviously all the questions and um, weight. But, um, you know, you have to rely on, the hundreds of starts and the thousands of pitches I've thrown before and um, just kind of say, okay, like I've given up leadoff home runs before. Let me bear down and, you know, that's not going to be indicative of what's going to happen the rest of the game by any means. Um, Let's see what happens. See what I mean? Talking to himself, hearing the demons, answering back. I've given up leadoff runs before. That's not the end of the game. That's not the end of the story. That's not the end of my line. It's not the end of my performance. I got a long way to go, and I got something else to say before this game is done. I appreciate that so much from him because he's admitting there is discouragement. This is a stage that I have not been able to conquer. This is a World Series, and I've stunk in some of these. I mean, you can obviously read between the lines, 
But you know exactly what he's saying. I had a choice there. I could give in. Or I could recognize I still have some control over what happens from this point forward. It's not failure unless I give up right now. And I'm sure as hell not doing that. I am Justin bleeping Verlander. That's what you like to see as a pitcher. <laughs> it's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. Uh, it, you probably won't believe it if I tell you. I swear I'm not making it up. Houston was one for 11 with runners in scoring position. They had a lot of opportunities. They didn't come through in a lot of those chances. Uh, not so much different than Phillies, who had left 12 guys on base and, for, and were one for seven with runners in scoring position. And so every little bit counted in this game. It was all so critical. Here's the 2-2. Swing and a drive down the left field line. Schwarber back. He's on the warning track. And that is out of here. Jeremy Pena. Over and out. The Astros lead 2-1. As Pena shoots a rainbow to left. Checks the lead runner at second. He kicks the pitch. Swing and a ball to right. It's falling. It's going to be a base hit. It'll get a run home for the Phillies. Stott around second on his way to third. He's there standing. And Gene Segura has made it a one-run ball game. With an RBI single to right here in the bottom of the eighth inning. It's 3-2. Houston, the tying run is 90 feet away. 1-2. Runner goes. Pitch is hit hard. Just fair snared by Mancini. And he steps on the bag. Inning over. Ooh, the back and forth on Phillies radio and Astros radio. And yes, Jeremy Pena, he goes three for four with a couple of RBI, including what was a tie-breaking solo home run in the fourth inning. And then as the Phillies are working every angle they can possibly come up with, they get to the eighth. They've got two runners on. Gene Segura, he's able to drive home Nick Castellanos. And gets a runner to third. That's when Dusty Baker makes the pitching change. Now, this is interesting. Similar. They had one extra reliever tonight versus what they had in the no-hitter. But it's it was the same three guys that wrapped up this game. Abreu, Montero, and then Presley. And so, Rafael Montero's pitching there. He doesn't... Well, Dusty Baker gets nervous. He's got this runner on third. And he decides to go to his... Brilliant closer, Ryan Presley, who then has to come in and get five outs. Not just three, not even four, but he gets handed a runner on third and only one out. And he strikes out the next batter, and then he gets Kyle Schwarber to ground out. And that takes us into the ninth inning. And man, it took everything, not just the pitching, but also the defense. 1-1. That's hit in the air pretty deep to right center. It sends back McCormick onto the warning track, leaps at the wall, and he makes the catch. Oh, what a catch by McCormick. Crashing into the 13-foot-high wall and deep right center fail. Two outs. The catch, wow. of, the catch of his life for McCormick. Comes back to Philly, his hometown, and makes a wonderful catch. The 3-2 to Castellanos. Round ball left side to his right, Pena. Shortstop has it, straightens up, throws to first in time, and that is the ball game. The Houston Astros defeat the Philadelphia Phillies 3-2, and they're up three games to two in the World Series. Headed back to Houston 
one win away from a championship. What a difference 48 hours makes. Steve Sparks and Robert Ford on Astros Radio. Yeah, defense, so critical. And a lot of times we have highlights and audio about the home runs or about the big moments. Sometimes we'll get a strikeout from a pitcher. And tonight, certainly Justin Verlander because he's the main story. But that catch against the scoreboard in the ninth inning, masterful. Actually, this is so amazingly cool. Producer Jay, I don't know how you found this. This is awesome. But inside the Eagles locker room, which is the visiting locker room in Houston, right? So remember, these these teams are playing at Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia. Houston is hosting the Eagles. So Eagles and Texans are taking place on Thursday Night Football to kick off week number nine. And inside the Eagles locker room, they're watching the bottom of the ninth inning and the Chaz McCormick moment. That was essentially the reaction everywhere in Philadelphia. Damn! (laughs) So that was inside the visitor's locker room, excuse me, at NRG Stadium, courtesy of NBC Sports Philadelphia. So, yes, we do not get the Ryan Presley save, five-out save, if we do not have the Chaz McCormick catch against the scoreboard. I thought he hit it out. Um, Put a really good swing on it. He's a great hitter. Um, but, you know, that time of the game, you just got to be focused on defense. And uh, you put a good swing on it. You know, it's kind of laying, laying out for whatever at that point. Um, and, you know, I, I saw uh, the wall. I saw the warning track. And it was just just high enough for me to uh, get in and reach out and go get it. And uh, I'm just happy we won. Yeah, I think I owe him more than a dinner. My goodness, that was a, that was a hell of a play, man. Um, you know, KT's an unbelievable hitter. Uh, made a mistake over the plate. He took advantage of it, but, you know, Chaz climbed the wall and got it, and, man, I couldn't be more thankful to have him out there. JT Realmuto is the guy who smashed the extra inning home run in, shoot, what game was that? Game three? No, that was going back to the weekend. Game one? It was game one. Was game one. All right, sorry. It feels like yesterday, but it was actually last weekend. Game one, I believe. So, yeah, so JT Realmuto nearly had a flashback. He nearly had deja vu. And you heard Chaz McCormick say, I thought it was out when he hit it. Well, because that's what JT does. And then Ryan Presley, of course, I think I owe more than a dinner. So that's a super cool moment for both Chaz as well as Ryan. If you have not seen the reaction, uh, it's phenomenal. So make sure you check it out uh, on Twitter. There's there's uh, plenty of videos if you go to either uh, Astros Twitter or MLB Twitter. They've got lots of the highlights and different angles so you can see the reaction. <laughs> it's one of those moments as a pitcher where you are so, so grateful that you're not out there by yourself. Sometimes it can feel like you're out there by yourself, but you're not. All right, so the Astros win back-to-back games in Philadelphia. They squash all the momentum by the Phillies, and now... They have game six at Minute Maid Park on Saturday. So Friday is a travel day. We know the Phillies won the opener in Houston. We know they've been fine playing on the road. They've split in all of these various uh, trips to start series on the road. So they're going to have to do it again. You'll hear from the Phillies as well as Dusty Baker, Jeremy Pena, 
Game five of the World Series in the books. And then coming up back end of the hour, we've got the start of week nine in the NFL. What, what? It's after hours with Amy Lawrence. Find me on Twitter, ALaw Radio, then also on our Facebook page. It's good to connect with you. Happy almost Friday on CBS Sports Radio. You are listening to the After Hours Podcast. hits in 10 of his last 11 postseason games. The 0-1. And that's a ground ball. Base hit in the center field. Altuve can walk home, and the Astros have a 1-0 lead. Jeremy Pena picks up his second RBI of the World Series. This is After Hours with Amy Lawrence. Man, this rookie, he is just getting started. Won a gold glove, snagged a line drive that was over his head uh, when Justin Verlander was still on the mound. Maybe that was first inning. Might have been. That was still when Verlander was trying to settle in but was battling hard against the Phillies. So his defense... Uh, Following up on that Gold Glove Award, he has three hits in this one, two RBI. Definitely a major piece of why the Astros are able to rally for now a 3-2 lead in the World Series. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. Not only do the series go back to Houston now, which was their goal, but they've got the upper hand. All these games have been hard fought. You know, they they have a great team. You know, they put together great at-bats, have great pitching. You know, and uh, no great ball clubs win close games. And uh, yeah, glad we came out on top. We know there's still work to do. You know, show up, ready to go, ready to compete. And yeah, try to close it out. I'm a big believer in experience mattering on this stage. Now, it's not the only factor. There are plenty of other factors. But I do think that wisdom experience, the fact that the Astros have been in so many of these clutch moments, these pressure-packed moments where they've come through, that gives confidence. Plus, you've got guys like Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve, your favorites across the board, I know. Uh, Also, Justin Verlander. They bring so much experience to the table, and the younger guys can draw on that. But certainly, when you see a Jeremy Pena who produces game in, game out, and seemingly doesn't even realize that it's the postseason or that's the playoffs, the poise is very impressive. Shout out to my teammates. Um, they prepare for every single game, and you know, you just, it rubs off on you. <laughs> you know, they have a sense of calmness because they've been here. I guess four years out of the last six. So, you know, you just gravitate towards them and uh, just go out and compete and have fun. One of those veteran teammates is Justin Verlander and finally, finally gets his first career win on the World Series stage. It wasn't easy, but it was a milestone that he will never forget. You're soaking wet, not because you were sweating profusely. No. What, what treatment did you get in, in the I got a shower. I got a rookie shower for my first win. Uh, the boys the boys put me in the cart, rolled me in the shower, and just poured all sorts. I got soap on my knee. I got, I mean, I got shampoo. I don't know, ketchup, mayo. I don't know. Is it weird to say you deserve it? I mean, you deserve I it. Well done. I loved it. I mean, are you serious? It was just amazing. These guys, you know, um, we're a tight group of guys. We have so much fun. And... Um, you know, that's, that's just one of those moments that whenever whenever my career is said and done that, um, you know, no matter what, I'll always remember them doing that. Whoa. It was a battle, and that's what he said. I mean, he, he emptied the tank uh, early, 
and um, you know his pitch count got got high, but I mean that was as far as we thought we should take him. And uh, you know we held the lead for him. I remember my teammate Tommy John always told me that a that, that a good pitcher can get out of trouble twice, and a great pitcher three times, and so so pitcher maybe one time. And so uh, that was a uh, you know I could hear Tommy John talking to me. Uh, you know, during the game. <laughs> Dusty Baker's a hoot. I love him. Talk about wisdom and experience. And boy, does he still dig these big moments. Uh, he's over there in the dugout when Verlander escapes, or I guess I should say finishes uh, the fifth inning. There's a pop-up and he's yelling and he's clapping and he's fist pumping. I mean, that's Dusty Baker. Uh, and Every time the Astros come up, inevitably, I am still receiving various tweets and Facebook posts about how they're cheating. No, they're sure as hell not cheating right now. There's absolutely no way that Dusty Baker would allow that. And don't tell me Dusty Baker wouldn't know. We already talked about that going back a couple years now. Of course, the manager knows what's happening. A.J. Hinch knew what was happening. That does not happen on Dusty Baker's watch. If for no other reason then he doesn't want it to ruin his legacy and his time in Major League Baseball. They brought him in because of his integrity. They brought him in because of his reputation. No one thinks cheating is happening under Dusty Baker. It has not happened since Baker took over. And you may not respect the Astros organization as a whole, but you got to respect Dusty. And if the Astros end up winning the World Series, I don't know that they will, I will be thrilled for Dusty just like I was for Brian Snitker a year ago. Now, the Phillies have got work to do, but it's not impossible. They're down 3-2 after leaving a dozen runners on base in this game number five. It's not over. There's uh, still got another uh, game to be played. So um, the biggest thing right now is, you know, sure, can you be frustrated? Absolutely, you can be. But uh, we got a day to flush that away. And... Uh, we got to be able to come out ready to go for uh, game six. I think the approach is the same that we've had. Um, just come out the next day and, and go get them. Prepare, compete. Um, these guys will show up, I guarantee it. It's you know They're going to fight to the end, for sure. I just think it's impossible to overstate how crucial that bases loaded strikeout for Justin Verlander to end the second inning and what that meant for the rest of his time that he was out there on the mound. But I didn't think Noah Syndergaard was bad. I mean, he he battled as well. Neither one of those guys was going the distance, was going deep. But both physically and mentally, the Astros got everything that Justin Verlander had. And you hear the conversation on MLB Network where he talks about uh, the way that they treated him like he was a rookie getting his first win or a rookie picking up his first home run. That's fantastic. Ketchup and mustard and mayo as part of your shower is absolutely disgusting. And yet, at, what is he, 39 now? At 39 years old, he digs every minute of it, and that will certainly be a memory that he'll never forget. Even if the Astros don't win, though certainly they've got a great advantage now. All right, you can find me on Twitter, A-Law Radio, also on our Facebook page. Jay, if you wouldn't mind, if you want to put up the Chaz McCormick catch. Um, I don't. Did NBC Sports Philadelphia have a video inside the Eagles locker room in Houston? Oh, my gosh, let's share that, too, because that was crazy. Have you, You've heard this. 
Marco Belletti? I not. Oh, let's play it for Marco. Okay, so Chaz McCormick catch. Chaz even says he thinks it's going out. Like, he was pretty sure that JT Real Muto had just done it again. And so there's a camera inside the Eagles locker room at NRG Stadium in Houston. And this is their reaction watching the at-bat. the reaction all over Philadelphia. It's pretty fun. And McCormick's an Eagles fan yeah, on top of that's it. That's right. He's, he's a, a Philly he's, guy and he's, he's from a Pennsylvania and he's an, guy. And he's yes. an Eagles fan. He grew up an Illies, uh, an Illies fan. Oh my gosh. I don't know where that came from. Just, you know, nod and smile, Marco. <laughs> it's been one of those weeks. <laughs> all right. Coming up, we were going to shift the scene to Houston because, weirdly enough, the other sports teams from Philadelphia and Houston were playing football to start week number nine. You are listening to the After Hours Podcast. Bills under center, second and goal from the two, turns, play action fake, sets, floats it left side, looking for his tight end, reaching over, Quatoriano makes the grab! Tegan Quatoriano's first NFL catch is his first NFL touchdown! They line up again, double tight end, Brown and Smith stack to the far side of the field. And it's fourth and goal from the two. And in for the touchdown goes Miles Sanders, his sixth of the season. Off the field, on the money, and after hours, it's time to talk football with Amy Lawrence. If you thought that you would be able to focus on the World Series because of the stage, because it was game five, because... You thought the Eagles and Texans would be a dud. Well, you were wrong. Eagles and Texans turned out to be a really entertaining game. So blowing all of those theories about Thursday night football completely out of the water. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. First two drives, boom, two touchdowns. First with Kevin Kugler on Westwood One. It's the Houston Texans who are able to get out on top on their opening possession. Uh, and I like the fact that they looked comfortable, right? They didn't look jittery. They just looked like they were in a groove immediately, like they'd had a good week of practice or short week of practice, but were ready to go. They weren't intimidated by the fact that they had the only undefeated team in the NFL coming into their building. But then we got a taste of Eagles football. Wow. 91 yards, 18 plays, eight minutes for their first drive. Those two possessions that you just hear on Westwood One and then Merrill Reese on Eagles Radio took the entire first quarter. That was it. Two possessions, two touchdowns, 14 points, the entire first quarter. Gone. Just like that. Football is so intriguing. I I just love how every game takes on its own personality. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. Okay, so we bear down and we get three empty possessions in a row. Don't get used to that. It wasn't the norm. Getting into the second quarter, then we see these teams go nose to nose and toe to toe and we're able to watch kind of the... 
I wouldn't call it a heavyweight fight necessarily. We'll call it a lightweight fight. But each team take its punches and land its shots. Gainwell to the far side. Smith in the slot. Slot to the near side with Watkins and Brown. Now Gainwell lines up in the pistol behind Hertz. Hertz takes the snap. Hertz gives it to Gainwell. Gainwell has a touchdown. First down at 10 at the Eagle 13-yard line. Pierce to the left of Mills. Gets the shotgun snap. Mills to throw. Pressure up the middle. Mills flush to the right. Mills looking. Mills throws for the end zone across the goal line. Catch is made by Chris Moore. Running from left to right in front of the goal line. Makes the catch for a 13-yard touchdown. 14-14 at half. What more could you ask for? I'm telling you, if you thought you could overlook this game because, you know, it's Thursday night football, whatever, it's such a massive mismatch, a team with no losses versus a team with just one win. Well, think again. And, man, did the Texans put up a major fight. They seem to have an answer for everything the Phillies – Phillies. Oh, my gosh. I knew that was going to happen at least once. I mean, there goes the perfect segment. You can better than Jerome Boger calling the Seahawks the Mariners on Sunday against the Giants last That's week. True. So That's true. But, see, I'm not the only one. I'm only human. Yeah, so it felt like the Houston Texans had an answer. Now, coming out of the halftime locker room, all right, this is where you hold your nose a little bit. A three and out by the Eagles, a three and out minus three yards by the Texans, a three and out by the Eagles, an interception by the Texans. Okay, so let's overlook the start of the second half. Maybe they had gone into the locker room and instead of making adjustments, they were watching baseball. I'm not really sure, but obviously we know they're very invested. So out of that Davis Mills interception, it was a very short field, as in instant red zone for the Eagles. Second and 10. Hurts backs up, looking, still looking. He is firing, and it is a touchdown, A.J. Brown. Hurts made it look easy. A.J. Brown did the escape act, was wide open, and Hurts merely lobbed them the football. On second and goal at the four, from the left hash, shotgun snap to Hurts. Hurts will fake the give, rolls right, throws, Goddard with the catch, touchdown Eagles. Crossing from left to right, Dallas Goddard. With the score, and Philadelphia goes up 27-17. to 17. That Davis Mills interception, the first one, was the turning point of this game in the third quarter because from that point, as I say, it was a very short field for the Eagles. It was already a ball on the 17-yard line, and it was two snaps, and A.J. Brown hauls in the go-ahead touchdown, and then around a Houston field goal, which, by the way, lasted 12 plays. These teams were both about trying to control the ball Eagles just happen to be better at it. Once the Texans had kicked the field goal, Eagles get the ball back, hold it for nearly another five minutes, go another 10 plays, and boom, Dallas Goddard, who had 100 yards on eight catches with the score on Thursday night football. Couple of interceptions for Davis Mills in the second half. The first one, the turning point. The last one, the nail in the coffin. And for that reason, and with the 29-17 final, Nick Sirianni's Eagles are 8-0 for the first time in franchise history.
being eight and zero, sweet, right? And it, yes, you know, it is. And BC alternative of being seven and one or six and two, right? And so um, we know that our our goal wasn't to go eight and zero. Our goal is to take one game at a time, and I'm at, that's that's our goal. And so, um, is it good? Is it good to be able to have this long weekend instead of eight and zero? Of course, but we know that we're going to get back to work on Monday um, and go go attack th- this next game against Washington, like we attacked this last game against Houston. Six and two's okay. You know, I prefer eight and zero. You know, that's just that's just me. You know, I don't know who else agrees with that. But uh, you know, it's cool. But like, we just gotta keep going. You know, it's so much football left. That's got to be one of my favorite sound buds of the entire NFL season so far. And it's so funny when juxtaposed with Nick Sirianni, who says eight and zero is sweet, and then Micah Parsons talking about the Cowboys win last week. I mean, six and two is okay. Six and two's okay. You I'd know, rather I be eight and zero. <laughs> That's just me. <laughs> I don't know who else agrees with me. <laughs> That's I mean, that might be my favorite part I don't of the whole. Who else agrees with that? <laughs> nobody. Nobody agrees with that. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty amazing that the NFC beast has turned into what it has so far this season with a pair of six-win teams and uh, obviously now this eight-no Eagles squad. Jalen Hurts getting to go back home. He realized a dream by playing at NRG Stadium for the first time in his life. Anytime I get to come back to the city of Houston, it's special. And this is the first time I've I've ever played back home at the professional level, collegiate level. Um, never, never got the opportunity to do it at the collegiate level. So coming back, um, playing in a place where I've I've built a lot of memories, built a lot of memories with my mom, my dad, coming to watch ball in this same stadium. Um, um, you know, of, of all things, you know, it's a, it's a great team win, you know, and there's 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 rare rarity in me reflecting on things and not having emotion towards it. But I, I'm 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 I'm, I'm proud that my, my my family got to see that today. Um, I'm proud my dad got to see that, and I know that's special to him because. Um, my family knows the memories that we've um, we've had with the Houston Texans, and you know, just being around and being involved in the camps and um, the Andre Johnson, and you know, him giving me his cleats as a kid, and mm-hmm. those are our memories that I value truly. And to come home and, and get a win in this city is special. Jalen Hurts, 21 of 27 for 243 passing yards, also tacked on 23 rushing yards. He had a couple of touchdown passes that we heard and also the lost fumble. 8-0 is 8-0, but I love the fact that Jalen never seems satisfied with what the Eagles are doing. There's a lot to um, be grateful about. There's a lot to reflect on and look at the things that we did well. There's also a lot of things that we can improve on, and I know – you know, I don't, I'm not going to make excuses about anything in a short week. You know, we have a standard of play. We want to play to that at all times. I made a statement this past week. I think he's improved more than, maybe more than every player in the NFL. Outstanding player with what, and he, he can throw the ball and what, he's mobile. He's a big guy to, to bring down. That was a great play by him on that third and long, that last draw that he ran. But uh, great players make those type of plays. That's the voice of Lovey Smith, head coach of the now 1-6-1 and one Houston Texans. 
As for Davis Mills, 13 of 22, 154 yards passing. He has the two touchdowns, but also has the two interceptions. Really, they want to run the ball more than the Eagles want to run the ball. And they had success at it, 168 yards rushing as a team. And the bright light for this squad is their rookie out of Florida, Damian Pierce. 27 carries, 139 yards, and he knows they gave the Eagles a run. The fact that we were... Competing with them right up, on, right, right up until the end, you know, just shows, you know, how good of a team we actually are when we want to be. But uh, like I said, that just comes from that. It has to be a team, you know. We can't play good first quarter and then come out and you know tone it down fourth quarter. We got to have that same intensity every quarter and um, eventually piece it together. Obviously, the record is what it is, but I think we're at a good spot. Um, came and played arguably the best team in the league right now, and um, our guys battled especially um, offensive lineup played really well up front. Run game was flowing all night long. Uh, passing, game, passing game, guys were making plays. Uh, obviously, those two turnovers, I got to protect the ball better, um, try to force, force some plays when I guess they weren't there and just be smart with it. Um, puts our defense in a bad spot. But I think, I mean, we're in a good spot. We're getting better each week. Uh, just got to find a way to get over the hump and finish some games. More from the Eagles and the Texans and the start of week nine. Week nine. That is, wow. And all week long, every time I've texted anyone new that I haven't talked to uh, already this week, I'm using the happy November because it's happy November. My mom reminded me it's daylight savings time or turn back the clocks or whatever it is this weekend. It's definitely turn back the clocks. That's this weekend? Yes. It's an extra hour of sleep. Oh, yeah, it is, right? But it gets darker all day. which is all right. That's I true. I mean, you and I are already dealing with that type of a schedule anyway, but at least we get more sunlight in the morning. Uh, so, yes. Now, coming up in about 25 minutes, longtime NFL assistant coach as well as college coach Kyle Kasky will join us from Louisiana. We've got some big college clashes this weekend, but straight ahead, I thought I was done talking about Kyrie. It's after hours with Amy Lawrence, CBS Sports Radio.